Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 82, episode 82. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, and my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Not much, man. Not much. Good week. Uh, we're, uh, we're recording on a Monday, so it's kind of uh, kind of weird. I, um, as you know, got sick last week after meeting with Sergio Chapa. No, not related to Sergio Chapa, obviously. But also, Josh got to drop off the gift basket, and so uh, if you're curious about that, you can go to my LinkedIn, and we'll be drawing what two weeks? Let's see here. It's yeah. Coming up. Two or th- no, I think it's the sixteenth. We said so. Uh, so uh, we'll see one, two, yeah, the sixteenth. So three weeks, I guess, from now, um, we'll be drawing um, for the next month's gift basket. So leave a rating and review in iTunes for that. But besides that, man, everything's good. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I heard you got sick, man. We uh, we had scheduled to have a couple guests on at uh, you know Friday normal time and. Man, you just yeah. uh, you got part partying too hard. You was at San Antonio. <laughs> I saw you at a basketball game. Were you at the Spurs game? What was that? Yeah, I went to the, the Sergio. Took me to the Spurs game. Thanks Sergio for the tickets. And uh, I got food poisoning, Man, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I woke up Thursday morning, thought I might die in that hotel room there for a little while. It was. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not a laughing matter. But you know, I mean, I guess you got to laugh now or you'd be crying. It was. It was just bad. Well, you know, uh, I saw uh, looking at some of our our uh, I check our reviews every week, Ryan, and I think I think it shows we have another another review that came in, but I I don't know that it's actually had a chance to post yet. So uh, we're I guess kind of waiting uh, waiting on that one. You mentioned if uh, if if you do want to leave a written review, uh, it sometimes it takes iTunes a week to it's post crazy. those things. So make sure you get them in early and and give plenty of time for iTunes uh, to post them for us to see. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't understand, and it's not like you can just uh, it's not like you can just hit up someone over at uh, Apple and, and kind of get that insight there. So it's it's also it's also frustrating because you know yeah. we want to read our reviews. Yeah, I can tell you, Josh, on my on my screen, which is weird. We don't even see the same screen sometimes. But uh, for me, the most recent one was uh, Chris. This nickname is taken, which we read that one. I'm pretty sure. We and did. Petrosaurus Rex, which I love Petrosaurus. that name. That was great. Um, so those are the last two on mine. So anyways, yep, we are up to 82 ratings and 45 customer reviews. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to leave a rating review for your chance to win the Rodney Strong gift basket for November or December or the VIP tour at Rodney Strong Winery in Sonoma County. We'll have Ryan Clark on here in just a few months to talk about that again as we pick a name for that winner if you've left a review you're already in to win awesome all right ryan well you know this week we've had a couple of things circulating in the news we've been talking a little bit about the port of corpus christi now for i think on several months you know at least six months now uh you know they've been trying to secure funding and congress approval uh, deepen the channel so that they could get some of these super tankers in vlccs i think is what they call them to uh, uh you know Export and import more oil and, and not have as much of a hassle. So right now they're to you know have put like a half load on and then go deeper out and out of the channel and then finish the load. It just costs a lot of time and money. So they're trying to deepen this port. I think to 75 feet. They've been 
I think Congress approved this thing about a, about a year ago at least, but uh, funding wasn't approved. And so they needed like 150 million. I'm just using round numbers here. And they only got like 12, I think, when they, they, uh, the bill passed. There's a bill that passed, I think, uh, maybe around March or April this year. Anyway, they are, uh, Trump's been uh, kind of rallying for more work to be done on this, uh, on this port. And it was recently announced that a, a company, Carlisle Group, to partner on the Texas terminal. So they are going to be coming in. Uh, the port is going to be paying Carlisle Group, but they're also going to be raising money from third party or just uh, independent, uh, independently raising money so that they can invest some, uh, some more and go ahead and get this thing finished. And what they're showing here is that it's supposed to be finished by the end of, does it say 2020, Ryan, if I read that correctly? Yes, 2020, yeah. Yeah, so I think it says the cost of the Harbor Island project could be upward of $1 billion according to the port CEO uh, on Strawbridge. If you remember, we had him on around the hurricane, Ryan, and he talked a little bit about some of the challenges that they face getting this getting this thing up. But, um, you know, if, if it can be up by the... the 2020 i think that that's uh at least it's moving forward you know at least they're they're making progress because they were there for a little while it seemed like they were approved weren't doing anything yeah it's interesting so i think i have a i don't say conspiracy theory because that's not the right term but i think uh the trafigura deal has really kind of gotten everyone in gear here if you remember we talked about that Mm, yeah you know a month ago the swiss company yeah and so i I got a feeling that that kind of got everyone off of center because they have the money to do it whether they get the permits to do it or not maybe different discussion um but i think that kind of got everything off the center when they came in there and kind of busted it up now we kind of talked i think maybe i don't know if we talked online i know i've talked to people offline for sure that my my theory is that trafigure would, would eventually partner with the port and just fund them themselves and we've questioned openly on the show why hasn't the port gone for third party funding before well here's the carlisle group coming in so it seems like our question's been answered they can get third party funding um mm. and so um it feels like that the trafigure deal Either is uh, th- th- now from what I've read, um, it seems like that deal is still moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, we'll see. But um, but it feels like that really was kind of the icebreaker that kind of got things off off of center. And you hate to speculate like this, Josh, because this Carlisle Group deal could be going on for six months and we would have no way of knowing. So we're not saying that definitively this is a thing. Just from an outside perception, it kind of feels like okay, the Trafigura deal came and maybe expedited or opened up opportunities for them. I, I, and, and I think at the end of the day, I still believe that Trafigure will partner with the port unless, so that makes the most sense, unless we're saying that the port, even in its new and expanded state, cannot handle the volume that's going to be needed and you need a separate entity like Trafigure to build one. Um, unless that's the argument, it feels like Trafigure would just go ahead and partner with the, court, the port. They can probably get that done quicker. Um, I shared a story like this on LinkedIn yesterday and one of the listeners um had commented that he was a little bit surprised that 2020 um, seemed a little bit quick. And I agree with him that 2020 does, at face value, sound a little quick to get this thing done. But if they can, mm. you know, 2020, I mean, you think about it, we're, 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 on, we're at the end of October. It's basically November. So you got two months and then a year. So you're in two months and then you're in 2020, which, I mean, I think they said the end of 2020. So you're still still two years away. But this the fact 2020 just sounds, it is sounds so far away, but just getting to 2020 is just, you know, what are we at? 14 months away um, from getting there. So it's, you know, 
if they can get it done that quick, good for them. It, it sounds a little bit fast. It sounds from all the delays we've heard about and all the frustration. Um, now we're like, hey, we're ready to go. Um, you know, good, good. Hopefully this will get it done. And uh, I did see David Blackman commenting on Twitter about this, and he seemed to be pretty excited. So if we can get him on, maybe he can kind of break down um, what's going on with this deal versus the Trafigura um, deal. But, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, Ryan, uh, you mentioned that Trafigura deal, and it seems, uh, if I recall right, we, we, we a couple of sources. We were looking at it from several different angles, and the Port of Corpus, their, um, say their general attitude toward it was negative. Uh, they thought that, that yeah. they would be competing. And, uh, and we talked a little bit about it, and I think the issue is, is that Trafigura would come in, they would start making profits, and they would go ahead and get something up in, um, in their area that would, um, I guess, accommodate these super tankers in, in a way that would increase right. their revenue. And I think like what you're saying is it, instead of waiting on Congress to fund you, somebody needs to get out, rally this stuff together, and figure out a way to put a package together that gives enough incentive to some investors and, and get this thing done. And because if the government's not going to do it, there are third parties that can come in and do a good job. And, uh, you know, if they can make money off of it, if they can be profitable and people are interested. So it looks like uh, they're trying to make trying to make the right moves. But, you know, we're always anytime anytime progress starts to be made, there are always some environmentalists uh, that, that come out and uh, and sometimes complain. And sometimes, you know, they have a good point. Sometimes I think they're just uh, just protesting a protest. They're, they're uh, kind of like me, Josh, you know. When you talk about politicians, my standard policy is I don't like them and don't trust them. The environmentalists are kind of like that. They kind of have a standard complaint about anything. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, majority of the time, uh, I just take what they say with a grain of salt. But I I at least try to keep open mind as much as I can and and try to listen to some of the complaints that they may have. They have been complaining. I think there's a, a, a city that's close by that relies on a lot of tourism. They're saying is going to hurt their economy if that particular port begins to be worked on. I think that is kind of a moot point. I, I don't really see that as a, a long-term reason to delay work on that port. And uh, and I think they're talking about the economic. I mean the uh, the environmental impact that some of these things are going to have on the. You know they got to go in and dig out underneath uh, this. You know, I, I guess it could muddy the water. I reckon. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, there there is an article where they are talking about it, and, and and you know the sad thing is some of these folks are just protesting it just because Trump is the one that's rallying right. for it, and that's that's a sad fact is that uh, they're not really thinking about the industry or the energy sector or the the, the economic opportunity this is going to afford to the area. They're just you know, against uh, the president and anything that he does. Yeah, I mean, so this is the Sierra Club, but in the Sierra Club. They're against everything. Like I, I think they hate humans. Basically, they're 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 one of the worst. Um, here's the deal. So here's what they're complaining about. You know, the location of the spool, and then they say that um, you know, the shrimping, your fishing, and your recreational fishing, and all these other types of things could go away. Now, obviously, Josh and I do not have the expertise to to um, to get into these types of things um, and to to say whether this could kill the the shrimping industry or the fishing industry or any of that stuff. I will say though, and, and I think this is a safe thing to say is that the ocean is a tough place to live just in general. So like if you're a, you gotta think like this, man, if you're a shrimp in the ocean, you know, everything in the ocean is trying to eat you. 
Um, and, and so what, I, what I'm saying is, is that the ocean environment itself has tough creatures that are very, very, um, they can persevere, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, you look at all the oil spills, all the things that's happened in the ocean, and uh, it just feels like the ocean, man, is just, is just made to overcome just about anything because uh, no matter what happens, there's always food, um, 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 fish and animals, not animals, fish and shrimp and whatever you want to call it, uh, growing out in the ocean. So I, I have a hard time with you're going to kill off the things in the ocean. Can you overfish it? Sure. Can you do stuff to hurt it? Sure. Um, but it feels like it's, it's just really hard to do a long-term damage to the ocean. I could be wrong about that, Josh, but it just feels like something like this is, okay, yeah, maybe it's true, but man, I, I don't know. The ocean is a tough neighborhood to live in. So if you live there, you know, you got to be tough. And so I, I'm, I would imagine you could overcome something like this. Yeah, overcome deepening a channel, I would, I would think so. I mean, if we made a concerted effort to try to pollute the oceans for the next hundred years with every bit of waste that we could, uh, you know that 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 would concern me. But uh, and even then, like you said, our ocean is still a pretty tough place. But um, you know, something like going in deep in um, the, the channel, I, I don't see. I mean, it's it. I, I don't see any issue. I think what they're looking at and saying, well, what if they deepen the channel, all the super tankers spill, you know, or tip over or whatever, or something crazy that's never happened before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's, it, it's worth it's worth mentioning that these things uh, are happening in the in the industry, and uh, and I'm sure that there are protesters there, and I'm sure that that makes the the slow down. You know, we mentioned there may be some delays. Um, anytime you know, like. Go look at some of the pipelines that have been done. There are always these sorts of things going on that delay the process or make it more difficult or give it bad press. And right. um, it's unfortunate for the industry when I think it, it's such a something that that people do and they're, they're devoting their lives to make the world a better place, and and they're still met with such uh, I guess uh, a, a negative negative response, and I think just overall ignorance in a lot of ways. You know, which which kind of ironic is, is that you know, shrimping, recreational fishing, and fishing all require oil and gas. The yeah. Sierra Club is one of the worst, uh, one of the toughest proponents of any kind of oil and gas expansion that there is. So they're arguing that we need oil and gas type jobs, which were or, 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 um, oil and gas um, industries that depend on oil and gas, which are fishing boats, obviously depend on oil and gas. Um, they want to keep those, but then you just follow the Sierra Club; they will be crushing oil and gas every other time they get. So it just shows you that there's no, there's no real consistency in what they think, say, or think. Um, could this? Listen, would dredging the channel kill some fish? I, I would imagine it is. I, I don't know, but I would oh, yeah. imagine it's probably gonna kill some fish. And that's you know, I, I you know, hey, that's is what it is. I guess you got to say, but um, but the long term benefits is gonna outweigh the short term negative, and I think it, I think it's pretty. Pretty clear-cut case here. Well, Ryan, we also have another article that came out from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the shell boom, boom calmed oil markets, uh, but for how much longer? And what they're, what they're saying is, is there are some supply worries that are starting to get back in. Uh, you know, the U.S. has been basically on fire here for, for, for quite some time. And now they're wondering, you know, well, is some of this stability, is it, is it how long is this going to last? Uh, and so... Uh, you know, article came out and it has a few good points to make, Ryan. I mean, what what do you think about uh, the article overall? Yeah, I think that this article 
is tries to do a good job of balancing out, um, you know, what the factors are. And there's a lot of different factors at play here. And, you know, we don't talk much about the geopolitical stuff on this show. I know Ellen and I do on Energy Week, but on this show we don't talk about a lot. But I think this is this is one of those things where you sit back and you kind of look at it and you go, okay, you know, prices right now, they've kind of dropped because they're tied to, you know, as the article pulls out, they're kind of tied to the global economy. And on some level they should be, right? Because if you have a massive global recession, well, the demand for oil and gas will just go down because no one's got money to spend. Um, if you have a global um, boom where people uh, across the world are building big buildings and construction and all this stuff, well, the demand for oil and gas will go up, obviously. So on some level, that that is, that is going to be tied to it. But the other thing is, you know, if you look at what's going on with Trump and Iran, you know, um, you're taking those barrels off the market. Um, and you're going to take off the Venezuela barrels off the market because they can't, they're taking them off themselves because they can't produce. Um, it's an interesting spot because the, according to the article, um, in August, global demand reached a hundred million barrels a day. Um, and that, that's, that's a lot of oil. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of oil. If you go back to 2010, we were at 86.9 million barrels a day and it's constantly been on the rise, um, through the, through that time period. So, I think that one of the things my takeaway from this article is short-term volatility. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. It's it's kind of hard to see a path for oil to crash over the next twelve months. Um, it could happen. Obviously, it could happen. It's hard to see kind of how we get to there. There's too many things that you think would have to get there to get it to happen that quickly. Um, will the oil reset or correct or whatever and maybe drop down to 40 or something in the next two or three years? That's that's possible, obviously. The further you get out, the, the least confident you are. But I think this is the thing for us in the oil and gas business is that the oil and gas demand should continue to grow for a long period of time. And so it's, it's always, when you read these articles, it kind of makes you makes you get a little nervous. You're like, man, what's going to happen next year? Or what's going to happen with this? Or what, you know, those are all things out of our control. We can't control what happens with Iran or Venezuela or Trump or the Port of Corpus Christi. You can't control any of that, obviously. But when you sit here and you look at the increase of, um, of global demand of oil, as someone in the oil and gas business, I kind of smile. I go, okay, well, that's, that's good. Because what I don't want to see, yeah, what I don't want to see is, is going from 2010 at 86 million barrels to 2018 going down to 50 million barrels. That would be bad news. Um, so try to take the macro approach or stuff like this. Um, you know, there's this, it's a great article, and I'll put it on my LinkedIn for you, my LinkedIn friends. You can see it as well. Um, it kind of breaks down this the varying, the, the various factors and um, what's going on with them. And, you know, it, I think it's kind of a, a good piece to look at. Um, at the end of the day, I think you walk away from it and you go, okay, well, there's too many factors to know what's going to happen, right? There's too many factors. What if Trump and Iran hit a deal before November, I think the, the, uh, sanctions go and play on the 6th or the 4th, the 4th. Um, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like Trump's going to get a deal with Iran by the 4th, but what if he did, what if they do? Uh, then all of a sudden those barrels come back on the market. Well, okay. That's going to help ease some of this demand. What if the U.S. has a big, big-time correction in its market, and um, we go into a, a, a recession-type type scenario? You know, so you look at all these things. We can't control any of that. But I do think that for me, the big thing is looking at it from 10 to 18. You're going up. Uh, what was it? 14 million barrels. Uh, 14, almost 14 million barrels a day increase. That's a lot of oil. I mean, that's a 14 million barrels a day. Uh, you know. That's a big increase because we're talking about a story mm. here in a minute where um, you know the, the top county in Texas and how much it produces and it's a fractional percentage of what the increase has been over the last 
eight years. You know, Ryan, and that's something that uh, that I've actually tried to so keep my eye on is global demand for oil. There are so many countries that are, I guess, uh, I don't want to say underdeveloped, but that are just not, mm-hmm. uh, that are not using the sort of energy that mm-hmm. someone like United States is, you know, and not say that many are, but there are countries that have a, a huge margin of, uh, that, to increase their use of energy and their use of oil. Now, there are several countries that as they progress, they're going to start using a lot, a lot more mm-hmm. oil. Mm-hmm. And with that possibility, if you know, the more the more progress these other countries make, and and I guess industrialize, becoming more uh, energy dependent on on things like oil and gas, and and um, kind of networking with natural gas, and, and getting all of that set up, the demand for gas the for oil is just going to go through the roof compared to where it's at right now. And I think the opportunities are there uh, for a lot of these countries. Especially if we can get peace, and well, you know, if there could be peace between a lot of these countries, you know, with the mm-hmm. the Russia, Iran, Iraq area, mm-hmm. Korea, if there would be, if we could get peace between these these companies, that uh, countries, the opportunities are there uh, right. to to for these old old companies to to drill more and make more money. Yeah, so there's a lot there. I think you bring up a good point. First off, you know, we don't know, we haven't mapped the entire Earth and know where all the oil reserves are. Um, yeah, you know, we have good reserves now, and um, there is a fear that maybe by 2025, because of the the, the recent downturn, that we won't have um, enough reserves, uh, strategic reserves uh, mapped out to to continue. But that's a horse of different color. But you know, if you go to somewhere like North Korea, just because you brought that up, let's say that um, that the Uns and Trump strike a deal, and um, the North Korea goes from being a third world. Um, totalitarian dictatorship to a moderate socialist type country um, and they're willing to make deals with international companies the the amount you know there's 24 million people I think is what it is that live in um, North Korea I think that's and if I remember correctly that's the same roughly the same population as the state of Texas I don't you know if I could be wrong but I think it's pretty close to like that um, so you talk about though that that amount of people who could come on to the to the grid if you will um, okay, well, you know, pipelines, infrastructure, stuff like that's got to be built. You look at Africa, which I believe has 1 billion people on the continent right there. A lot of emerging markets are in Africa. And emerging markets, um, on some level, like you're saying, they don't, have, they don't use as much oil and gas as we do um, because we have more people and stuff like that. But if you look at a country, let's say, I don't know, Kenya or... Um, you know, Zimbabwe or Zambia, I don't know, but pick up a pick, pick in a country. Um, you know, as they become closer and closer to first world, they've got to build a lot of infrastructure. They've got to build out a lot of things, which requires a lot of oil and gas. So there's a sense in which you know they kind of have a, a, a maybe a higher ratio because they have so much infrastructure that they have to build. Um, and I, I think really the thing here is, and um, I. I I think Japan, if you watch what's going on in Japan, they're kind of leading the charge here. I think really what's going to have to happen is, and one of the things this article is, is, alludes to, is that can um, global producers keep up with the demand for oil? I think one thing we're going to see is long-term um, is a switch to more more nuclear-type ran stuff, especially in the big cities, big metro areas. It just makes sense, and, and it would kind of help um, alleviate some of this pressure that you see on oil right now. But that's a discussion for another day. Mm. Certainly interesting. Um, there's an a article. We've been talking about oil stability for 
quite some time, right? And some of these oil executives, there was a recently a panel at PBPA meeting, and uh, Diamondback CEO Parsley and Apache's vice presidents participated in this panel. And they talked about the, the stability in the market, some of the hedges that, that started, you know, about a year ago. It allowed these companies to focus more on their employees because they had certain margins that they were going to hit. And so they were able to... Uh, what what they say is make life, I guess, um, you know, more stable for their employees as well. They could pass benefits of some of the stability and and uh, salaries and and uh, income. They could really, I guess, what they're saying is that the, the employees have really benefited from this stability, and uh, I think that's good news to see because I, I, you know, from from our perspective, Ryan, uh, you know, in the southern United States, there are lots of people who work on oil rigs that have mm-hmm. had a hard time for the last mm-hmm. you know i'd say going back before this past year uh, a lot of people were laid off and so um the stability that's there allowing people to get these longer term contracts or longer term longer term positions is great for the economy great for great for their families and uh, so i thought this was a, a good article where at this conference they talked about how they were able to uh, really benefit their employees uh, the stability that has been in the market you know for the past year yeah it's good to see that because it, it was a couple it's a rough couple years for and still for some i guess maybe that they haven't got the job they're looking for or whatnot but definitely a rough couple years there for some folks in the industry it seems like everyone's kind of leveled back off now so good to see that the companies um who, who who listen the companies took a beating too so it's not like it wasn't just the uh the employees that took a beating the companies took a beating but it looks like you know they've been active uh, acquiring developing building but it looks like some of these guys and most of these guys probably are taking good care of their employees and so that's always good to see um you know the, the oil and gas industry i think has a unique ability um from the ground level to be very caring very loving very sharing very helpful to the man or woman next to them um I think I told the story about the hard hat we passed around one time for a guy who was on a project, but he wasn't on our spread. So someone we never came across who got hurt. I can't remember what happened to them. I think it was a man. I can't remember the man. And uh, we passed around a hard hat or a bucket or whatever it was. And it raised, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So there's, you know, at the ground level, you always see that in the oil and gas industry. Great people that uh, want to take care of their own. Um, it's good to see that the executives of these big companies are, are uh, reciprocating that kind of sentiment that you get in the field. Well, Ryan, uh, we the section of the show where we do the what we call the Texas Roundup, where we pull together some of the latest stories, mergers, acquisitions, uh, companies that have or acquired other other companies, and we try to pull together some of the I guess the most pertinent news that uh, that we see. And you know, every week there's all sorts of things that are going on. We try to pick some of the t- uh, pieces uh, to to put here. We obviously are going to put these in the show notes, but. Um, there was a one that I don't have on here today. It was actually one that you sent me earlier this week from the EIA. It was like a 20 page PDF, uh, just incredible graphs and maps mm-hmm. and information breakdown, uh, breakdown of the, brand. uh, we're going to, I can link that in the show notes. Um, way too much to discuss. I mean, it's, it's technical, it's detailed. Uh, but for anyone that's interested, it is, uh, it is a fantastic look at, at the Permian. And some of the, you know, the, the depths and uh, thickness of the shell plays, it, it just breaks it down in a, at a level that I haven't seen before. And uh, certainly an interesting read. And we also have a, uh, I think, a production for August. Uh, August this year, there was a Midland County, it says, tops Texas with 10 million barrels. Uh, and this is a breakdown of all of the counties and the, uh, the oil, uh, you know, 
barrels per day that, that was produced. Midland County was the number one, and it was by a long shot. Uh, Carnes came in at number two at seven. And, Ryan, I think you broke down that Midland at 10656000 uh, crude oil. What was that per day? That they yeah, were- it was like 343,000 uh, or 344,000 barrels a day, Josh, something like that. So, mm. um, which is, you know a lot of a lot of oil um and you know it's it, but but that being said so you think about that and you go okay well um you know to get to I'm, i just did some rough numbers here while you were talking just to try to add this up i think into the top four the top five counties in um on this report i didn't get a chance to do all top 10 but it looks like if I did it's either top four or top five, we'll say, but it's not even a million barrels a day increase. And so we talked about a minute ago, um, the number was from million and fourteen million. Yeah, fourteen a day. million fourteen million and I mean I can you know, I can do some some quick math here on this thing, but uh let's see here. Yeah, so roughly this is just some quick math, not using the whole number not rounding we'll just say it's about we'll round up we'll say it's two million barrels a day that that, that probably should cover because i just used the uh the million i didn't have a chance to put on the number so let's say two million barrels a day is what's being generated and you've had 14 million barrels a day increase over the last uh eight years so shows you kind of some of the disparity in um while the permian's doing great and good there's still a lot there's still a lot of growth out there that mm-hmm. has happened yeah uh, i think that Man is going to continue to increase for quite some time. And, you know, um, earlier this year, right, right at the beginning, I think January, Drilling Info came out, maybe February, they came out with something saying this is going to be a huge deal for mergers and acquisitions. They were anticipating, I forget the number, it was a huge number, though, that they that they projected for um, you know, money going to be spent in companies buying and acquiring these, these different deals. So we have a third quarter oil and gas deal uh, that, that just came out of uh, – a report that says that it hit 123 billion 123 billion in the third quarter alone mm. and uh, and they comparing that to the 2014 uh the third quarter there they did 125.7 and we're you know we're at about 123 so we're right there on pace with uh where they were at in 2014 and so uh lots of deals have been going on i think last year it was 24 billion wow. 24 billion compared to this year at 123. So definitely lots of deals going on. Drilling Info nailed it. Uh, and there have been, you know, like like they said, just a tremendous amount of deals. Speaking of deals, Ron, there's one that just came out yesterday or, or yeah, day before yesterday that was uh, announced, I think. On the 29th, Denbury is going to be acquiring Pennsylvania for $1.7 billion dollars. So um, that that was recently announced. Denberry is a company, I believe, based out of Plano, and they work um, in Texas, Louisiana, uh, a lot of a lot of um, local you know, local areas here to you know northern Texas and uh, northern LA, and I, they're going to be getting a PN Virginia. And the way I read it, I, I looked at this article on. Uh, seeking Alpha, and I think that some of the stakeholders of Penn Virginia that that are currently owners of Penn Virginia, they're going to keep like 29% ownership, and then Denberry's going to have I think you know 71 something like that. So uh, there's a lot going into the deal and the breakdown. 
but certainly a good deal for Denbury. This is going to be Eagleford. I believe it is. What was the acreage, Ryan? I think it was. Uh, it's not going to be acreage on this one. Uh, Penn, Virginia. I don't think they drill wells. I think they just build pipelines. Okay. Yeah. Core position, the new oil window in Eagleford. Yeah. So there. It's. I guess it's just a transportation uh, company or yeah. you know just I think getting that, it from one yeah, place. Yeah. I think to that, that is. I think, and I haven't looked at PVR stuff in a while, but. Um, well, see, there's a couple of Penn Virginias here, so I'm looking it up now. There's PVR, there's PVAC. Um, and let's see here. No, 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 no. These guys, it looks like they're. Uh, let's see here. You know, the the thing was is I had this article and it was a subscriber page that ended up. Uh, they gave it to me at first, and then when I pulled it back up. It said I had to pay to read it. I got it somewhere else, but I've I've read this the same article in several different locations, and I thought that one of them gave me some uh, a knowledge. But the thing is, I read so many deals, I may have just maybe conflating them. This one is supposed to close uh, in the first quarter of 2019, so uh, it's going to close in you know about three months. So it it should uh, right around the corner. And there was a, another one, Ryan. Uh, this one is uh, still very early on in negotiation, uh, but Endeavor is looking to make a $10 billion plus uh, purchase of some um, some Midland uh, property. It's, uh, they're looking to spend about $10 billion, but it doesn't say who, uh, and it doesn't give any exact information. That, that what they're saying is that it's still under wraps. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs are going to be involved in the financing aspects, uh, but Endeavor is uh, certainly someone to have your eye on. Josh, and, I, I found the uh, real quick. Just to, I found it. It's eighty-four thousand acres, and it's a different Penn Virginia than what I was thinking of. I was thinking of a um, a different Penn Virginia that worked in the midstream side. So eighty-four thousand acres in the Eagleford, I believe, is the answer. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I, I knew I saw acreage somewhere. I just uh. It's not, it's not in the rig zone article that I'm have pulled up here. Yeah, so 84,000 acres, that's going to close. That's for $1.7 billion in the Eagleford, and they are supposed to close in the first quarter of 2019, Denbury Resources. And uh, and lastly, Endeavor is going to be – have there. it's a potential. It's not, not uh, final yet, but a potential $10 billion deal. Um, and uh, it doesn't give us much information. Um they, on on the deal list. Are they off? Are they wanting to buy this podcast? Do you think? You know that that would be a great question. Um, certainly, you know, just for a just for a fraction of that ten billion. Yeah, we do ten percent, uh, right? Ten percent of that. Ten yeah, percent. One, yeah, one billion. One one billion. Yeah, we do yeah. one billion. It'd be getting a good deal. You know, we we uh, it's a steal. We make president's decisions, and and uh, and we we get the port of corpus uh, yeah, moving got forward. Yeah, funded. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah, we we, yeah. we do we get a lot done on the show. Um, I'm telling you, we got the best listeners in the world. It's um, you know, yeah. So got, I think I think we'll do it for got drilling info. We got them purchased. Yeah, uh, got yeah, got drilling info sold. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, we've got I I I'm gonna take credit here, or we should take credit here rather. I think you know we haven't. I don't know if you listeners know, but Sergio Chapa is leaving the San Antonio Business Journal, and going to the Houston Chronicle, and I'm pretty sure that's because of us. It, I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense. Him yep. coming on the show. Um, so congratulations, Sergio. Uh, we'll expect our check in the mail. But yeah, I mean, I think ten percent of that they can just 
just shuffle on over here and you know we'll call it a day mm. yeah we call it a good day too <laughs> speaking of drilling info ryan the brick count from drilling info day was 1,143, which, if I'm not mistaken, is 10 under where we were at last week. Uh, 10 under where we were at last week. We were at 1,153, so pretty stable, Hold, holding them pretty stable. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I think we're going to try to get Blackman and Sergio on this Friday because of the cancellation, but um, because it is kind of late notice, I don't know if we can pull that off. Uh, but, Duke, in all seriousness, congrats, Sergio, on his new job. Um, and he says, Josh, he says he'll still come on once he goes to the Houston Chronicle. But, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see. We know how some people are. They kind of get these big-time promotions, and uh, they get too big for the little old Texas Little Gas podcast. But we'll see. Um, leave, leave a rating review on iTunes so that we can get you entered to win the gift basket. Uh, question, comment, or concern, 318-599-9192. Um, I guess that's it, Josh. Nothing else going on, huh? That's it, man. Okay. Yeah. And real quick, any of our listeners in Denver, if we have any listeners up in Denver, I know we have some up in Colorado, I might be heading up there. So shoot me a message on LinkedIn, and I'll be heading up to Denver here in the next couple of weeks, it looks like. So um, let me know. would love to sit down and grab a cup of, cup of coffee with you while I'm in Denver. So, But anyways, that's it. Until next time, keep climbing. Mm-hmm.